It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey, guys, and welcome to the championship edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. It's our final show of the year. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the championship of the XFL. As our YouTube viewers have likely noticed, we have Justin Freeman from Run the Sims with us today. Justin is a world-class showdown player and a spring football DFS legend, so he's the perfect guest for the biggest showdown slate of the season. And he's our first ever return guest. Justin, welcome back. How are you doing, and how has the XFL season treated you since you were last on the show? Uh, I'd say overall, we've had a, a really good uh, conclusion to the XFL season. It's always uh, such a short runway to try to land the plane in terms of your own personal play. Uh, you know, like you can you can be playing really, really well. And if you're just finishing second and third in some tournaments that are super top heavy instead of first, I know my guy Furby was uh, struggling in that regard for a little while. It was always a bridesmaid and never a bride. Uh, but eventually... Uh, the stars have started to align. So now it's been a really good season for me personally. Uh, I know our crowd over at Run the Sims has been extremely excited about XFL. Um, you know, we were just chatting a little bit beforehand about the next series of spring football and, and where the enthusiasm levels lie there. Um, maybe we'll hop into that. Maybe we won't. But uh, it's it's fun. And there's lots of opportunities to uh, to grind these edges. So it's I love it, man. To me, like it feels like just a fundamentally different game than playing NFL DFS, even the showdown stuff. There's a lot of similar principles, but it's just you're making different assumptions about who your opponents are and, you know, what everybody's level of intimacy with the information is. You know, there's there really is an information edge to those out there who are really putting in the time. And hopefully for people playing spring football, that's like been beneficial to their bankroll and you know gives them a, a few dollars in their DraftKings account to, to blow during NFL season yeah yeah exactly I mean I I, I couldn't line up more I it just it blew my mind how many times I'd, I'd go back I'd rewatch some of these games and then I'd I, you know I'd see something that just seemed so obvious from watching the games and then you know we plug it into our projections and you know ownership comes out the next week and it's like wow people just totally missed this and all you had to do was was tune into some of these games. And I mean, stuff like that just never happens in NFL. So I can definitely appreciate a lot of these, uh, these XFL edges. And I know we'll talk about a lot of them today, but Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's really been, it almost feels like a tale of two seasons. I feel like early in the XFL season, you could get away with really just playing some of the better projected plays. Cause a lot of people were just making guesses at stuff that we didn't know for sure. And, and, but then in the back half, I feel like now that everybody's kind of gotten a real good feel for everything, it's been more of you just got to take some chances on these, you know, single digit owner ownership level guys and and just buy into the variance of the XFL. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, definitely feel which I feel like I was not doing enough early or in the middle part and then have now started to be like, all right, now that everybody kind of knows everything, how do we how do you win? And it's just it's just, you know, betting on these offenses doing things that we don't expect them to do because it's the XFL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think, you know, we see ownership concentrate so heavily on the top plays like that. That's remained fairly consistent that just branching out a little bit into some of these like, you know, they're slightly worse value, but their ownership is 
you know, a fifth of a guy who's projected for only two points more or something like that. I think that's really where the, the bigger edges have been, especially in the second half of the year. Um, but yeah, guys, let's get into it. Um, our final game of the year, it's the Arlington Renegades against the DC Defenders. Kickoff is Saturday at 8 p.m. Um, this game's being played in San Antonio, so neither team will have a home field advantage here. The total is 48, and DC is favored by six and a half. Um, in some places, it's seven. In some places, it's six. So definitely shop around. Um, Justin, I'll throw it over to you. Are there any bets that you like for this game? Yeah, you know, like I I think this DC defense has shown some signs of weakness uh, over the second half of the season. They're extremely fun to watch, like regardless of whether they're letting up big plays or creating big plays of their own. They're really a big boomer bust defense, which has been kind of a Greg Williams staple for like three decades at this point. So perhaps not too surprising. I think when you're talking about a really veteran signal caller like Luis Perez, like I know Luis takes his lumps and everything from the community for just being, you know, the spring football force gump who's been everywhere. Right. Uh, as our guy Reed would like to say, uh, I think he's got a chance of keeping this game competitive for Arlington. So uh, overall, TLDR, I think the overhits. Like, I, I think we could see this game um, really shoot out. I think Arlington may have a chance at holding their own. Um, and in cases where that's not going to happen, we could talk about some fun ways to take advantage of that with our showdown slate. So I like the over 48. Uh, Chris, what about you? Yeah, when I first saw the line, my initial reaction was that seems way too high. And then when I sat down to really project the game out and I, I actually ended up getting slightly over on the total too. So yeah, I actually like the over. I th yeah, Luis Perez has really turned around the Arlington offense, made them functional. And the DP DC defense has just not really been great all year and they just love to give up big plays. Yeah, so for you know reasons that we can dive a little deeper into later um i actually think both of these teams are going to play pretty pass heavy in this contest which obviously makes me lean towards the over here and i also think arlington's being a little disrespected in the betting markets i hopped on arlington plus six and a half pretty early i think things opened at uh, arlington plus six and then moved pretty quickly to six and a half hopped on that last week um i'm not sure if we'll you know if i actually get value on that that line i'm not sure if it'll move back uh in my favor but Man, I mean, I think this this game should probably be handicapped closer to like four, four and a half. I mean, I think Perez gives this offense some some real life. And I mean, the last time these teams played, they they went into overtime. Like, it's not like, you know, they <laughs> DC blew out Arlington the last time they played. So, um, yeah, I like I like the Arlington side. I like uh, I like the over. Uh, I'm not sure I'm brave enough to take Arlington money line, but, I, you know, I think there's probably some value there. Um all right. So thankfully injuries with a two week gap in between the uh, divisional championships and this game injuries are fairly clean um, on the Arlington side. Victor Bolden is practicing in full for the first time in about two months. Uh, Rennell Hall is dealing with a foot injury that I think he picked up in the division championships. He has not practiced this week. He's officially listed as questionable. My best guess is that Bolden is active and that Hall sits certainly a situation to keep an eye on. I believe both those guys are, are min price. Maybe, maybe Hall's like 1200. So, you know, in terms of value plays, something to keep an eye on. On the DC side, uh, Ethan Wolf was limited all week in practice with an ankle issue. He's been dealing with that since week four, but he's also played the last four weeks. I'd absolutely expect him to be active. And then cornerback Michael Joseph, who is one of DC's best defensive players, is listed as questionable. 
Um, I lean towards him playing, but if he sits, that is a pretty notable blow to an already weak DC pass defense. All right. So starting with the Arlington side, um, you know, Luis Perez clearly isn't going to get as much love in this contest as a guy like Jordan Te'amu um, because, you know, obviously Te'amu could do a lot more with his legs and has put up bigger fantasy scores this season. But man, I really like Perez against a DC defense that is allowing 280 passing yards per game, which is by far the most in the league. They're allowing a 68% pass rate, which is also by far the most in the league. And they're the league's toughest run defense by yards per carry, allowing just 3.6 yards per carry. Um, when these teams last played, Perez threw for a season-high 335 yards, and Arlington threw the ball 62% of the time. So, you know, I I definitely lean towards Arlington coming out pretty pass-heavy here, and, I've, you know, Perez would be, you know, the guy who benefits the most from that. Um, Justin, I'll throw it over to you to kick things off here. What, what do you think about Luis Perez this week? I think he's a really strong play, and I think as people are building their lineups, you know, I think most people building it uh, – uh, XFL lineups are doing so by hand. Um, I think the first person they're going to want to squeeze in is Jordan Tiamu, whether it's in the captain spot or the flex. And I think if there is a quarterback to be forgotten here, it's going to be Perez. I think being um, overweight on Perez makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Uh, keep in mind, you know, there's only so many ways that you're going to see quarterback, non-quarterback lineups uh, in an XFL contest, particularly one of this size. Like this isn't a you know, 200,000 person DraftKings Monday night football contest. You know, this is still relatively small number of entries. So uh, we don't need to go completely galaxy brain. I think Luis uh, looks really good. He's going to project to get every single one of the pass attempts for the Arlington offense, something not guaranteed for Jordan Talmo. So I think we're kind of, it's hard to compare one without the other because there is likely going to be a point uh, you know, in your build where you may have to make that choice. You know, I, I think two quarterbacks, obviously the safest way to go, but uh, I think, you know, Perez will probably be the first one getting scratched by most people. And I, I, I don't know that that's completely wise. Yeah. I mean, to me, they, they just feel like pretty close to even, obviously. I mean, we have Tayamu projected for a couple points more, but I think when you factor in ownership, it gets pretty close. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm pretty much on board with all of that. Uh, I think they should be, should be basically evenly owned in total and captain ownership, but Tayamu is probably going to be ahead of Prez in both categories. The question is how much. Um, I don't think it'll be so big that you're able to get like a ton of leverage on on just getting, and I don't know if you should get way overweight on Prez versus Tayamu. To me, they should be about equally owned. They project very similar. Prez is almost the same price, but slightly cheaper. Yeah, if they get down quick, they're they're going to be passing a ton. And, you know, like you said, they already know he can succeed against this defense. They have no reason not to come out passing. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, one guy that I wanted to mention just in passing, uh, Kelly Bryant has one carry on 12 snaps since week nine. So I, I wouldn't consider him playable at all. I, I figured someone might ask me about him. So I just wanted to to throw that out there. Maybe in like an absolute ceiling scenario, he could rush for a touchdown, but that's still at 7,000. That's still not going to get you there unless it's like literally the only score of the game. So I don't think anyone has to worry about Kelly Bryant just – just throwing that out there before we move on to these Arlington running backs. Um, you know, Arlington running backs kind of starts and ends with Davion Smith, who's seen the most consistent usage in the XFL in terms of weighted opportunity. He actually finished the season just above Wes Patrick in weighted opportunity, and he was a double-digit weighted opportunity points in every single game he played 
this season. Um, if we exclude Keith Ford and week nine, where Davion Smith was hurt, uh, Davion Smith would have every single inside the 10 carry for the Arlington offense, which is just absolutely wild. This guy's touchdown equity is, I, I think, clearly the best on the slate. Um, we'll talk. We'll get to Abram Smith later. Um, but I, I really like Davion Smith as sort of a sneaky TD upside play. Uh, Chris, I'll let you kick things off here. Um, you know, I think the bearish argument, though, is that D.C.'s run defense is pretty strong. So where do you fall on Davion Smith? Yeah, I'm not too worried about the D.C. run defense side of things. Where Davion Smith makes his hay is in the is in the touchdown area. So and he's going to just get all of the red zone rushing carries. That's what you're betting on. I'm not really betting on him to rush for a crazy amount, of, you know, 100 plus yards or anything yeah. like that. I don't think, I mean, obviously if he does that and scores touchdowns, he's going to easily be one of the players you have to have, but I don't think you, I don't think we're betting on that. You're really just betting on the touchdowns and, you know, he's a good showdown play because of it. Cause he could fall into two, even three touchdowns and, and if he gets lucky. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely with you on the, on the rushing yards. Um, but at the same time, I do think that, uh, you know, the last time these teams played, Luis Perez had a season low average depth of target at 5.7. Arlington running backs ended up with eight targets. I do think that could make up for some of the inefficiency on the ground. And I mean, this rushing attack hasn't been super efficient all season anyway. Um, so I don't think I, you know, Davion Smith, I think his season high in yardage is like 60 or 70 yards, nothing crazy. Um, Justin, how are you playing Davion Smith? And also, how do you feel about uh, backup running back Letty Brown here? Uh, Letty Brown actually kind of gets me excited because he, he's he's a little bit of a price so bad it becomes good type of play. Okay, like, he he should not be priced up at sixty six hundred dollars as a backup running back behind Davion Smith. That's too expensive for Letty Brown. However, you know people are going to say you know for eighteen hundred dollars more I can get up to Davion Smith and get the actual yeah. running back in this offense. <laughs> The, the type of script I would be targeting for Letty Brown is one where DC does get up early. So maybe that's, uh, you know, on behalf of Abram Smith, maybe that's uh, Tamu to Lucky Jackson score, whatever that is. Um, you know, so we're, we're building that type of thing into our lineup. And then we're going with Letty Brown as the garbage time back, because I do think they prefer to have Letty Brown on the field on two minute drill situations. So if the uh, if the Renegades do get behind and we want to play that script, I think Letty Brown makes a lot more sense to pair with Perez than does Davion Smith. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of see Perez and Davion Smith to be kind of in really negatively correlated, like more than most running backs and quarterbacks are. So I, I think overall, like that may be something that stands out to me is trying to avoid situations where Perez and Davion are in the lineups together. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense from a macro perspective. I mean, if Davion's scoring, it's going to be carries from the two-yard line. And if Perez is scoring, you know, it's going to be passing touchdowns. So I think there would definitely be some negative correlation there. In terms, so we actually haven't seen Letty Brown and Davion Smith play a healthy game together since week eight, and they split routes 50-50, exactly. Um, so I do think there's there's certainly some merit with Letty Brown there. And obviously, I mean, he would just eat if Davion Smith got hurt. He would become, you know, the absolute nuts. Yeah. So... I, you know, I, I wrote him up as a guy that I, you know, I didn't like on, on the surface. I mean, obviously he doesn't project well anywhere. He's just too expensive, but I mean, I, I think you definitely make some good points. He's going to be, I mean, geez, he, he might be five, 8% owned in the flex, you know, mm -hmm. for a guy who could see 45% of the snaps and half the routes in a game where we, you know, likely expect Arlington to be playing from behind. I, you know, I, I, I could definitely see some merit there for, uh, tournaments. Um, Chris, before we move on to these wide receivers, uh, what do you think about Justin's take on Letty Brown? 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting leverage play for you know all the reasons that he said. I do agree with him that Devion plus Perez is probably not an optimal combo unless you were doing like an Arlington onslaught type of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Letty Brown, on the other hand, you can play in pretty much any combination of DC players. Probably not the winning by a ton, but even in that, I think I think he could be viable if he's the one that just catches a couple passes and the rest of the guys in that range just don't do a ton. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't play Letty Brown and Devion Smith together. Yeah, unless you're going like mega Arlington on slot, you know, 35 yeah. to 7 kind of final score uh, type deal. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I've, you know, I was kind of off Letty Brown before the show, but I think I think Justin brought me back a little bit for uh, for some of these tournaments. Well, um, if I, I can hop in. The, the question the question to me, the thing that really opens the door for Letty Brown is the fact that none of these other wide receivers or tight ends, which we're about to talk about. Uh, really project for monster roles. So it's not like you just look at and say, well, in an Arlington pass heavy script, you know, go ahead and fire up, you know, Tyler Vaughn's like, we, we don't feel that great about that. So, you know, there's, there's not that much separating him from the other pass catchers in a pass heavy script for Arlington. So I just see there's a few different ways to get home. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you know, he's going to touch the ball more than any of these Arlington wide receivers or, or, you know, Sal Canella. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, he could rip off a, a 30 yard touchdown run and, and you're there. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on to these Arlington wide receivers. Um, I thought this was really interesting from like a matchup perspective, because on the surface, you know, like I sort of laid out, this is a very good passing matchup for Luis Perez and the Arlington passing attack. But what was interesting, at least when these teams last played in week nine, which I think is you know, a pretty good indication, considering they're basically the same teams that they were in week nine, um, Perez posted a season low 48% wide receiver target rate in that game. And that also would have been a season low for Arlington as a whole. Um, his ADOT was 5.7, which, like I said, season low on a season high 17 pressures faced. So part of my thinking here was that actually, you know, while we may on the surface think that the volume for these Arlington wide receivers is going to be really strong, um, it might not be, despite the fact that Perez drops back a ton because of all the pressure he's going to face. He was really looking like pretty much only middle of the field last time. And that ended up with, you know, a lot of targets for Sal Canella, a lot of targets for the Arlington running backs. Um, so that was something I just kind of wanted to throw out there as like a matchups take where, you know, volume might be great, but it may not be as great as you'd think for some of these Arlington wide receivers. And plus, you know, things are pretty spread out overall. Um, yeah, Justin, curious on your thoughts on that before we get into some of these specific guys. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's this is the downside of playing Luis Perez is there are going to be no straightforward paths to saying like, OK, this is the guy I feel solid about. That's not the case with D.C. If you want to fire up Jordan Tomer, it's going to be really clear. Like you get three choices, you know, guys that you can pair him with unless you want to start, um, you know, hunting for, for bargains and that sort of thing. But the fact that there are so many options makes me think that like, well, that's kind of like the shotgun approach I want to take to this is like be the guy who goes a little bit deeper than everyone else with Luis Perez, fire up these various combos of guys. Like we've seen all of these guys routes fluctuating wildly from week to week and yet never like truly out of this world type route participation numbers either. So even the good is only so good. So, uh, but ultimately there's some playmakers that are starting to emerge. I, I think makes them really interesting. The prices are cheap, so you can fit your more expensive plays from the DC side. But overall, like I do, like 
my numbers show that DC is pretty average in terms of like yards per reception allowed, but in terms of catch rate allowed, they tend to allow, allow a very high completion rate to opposing quarterbacks. So there's going to be some PPR opportunity there for these pass catchers more broadly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, kicking things off, I mean, I you know, Javonta Payton had the massive game last week, 34.1 DraftKings points, and he posted the highest route share of the season of any Arlington wide receiver at 87%. He feels like the guy who's, you know, the most likely to be locked into a full-time role or, you know, something resembling that. Um, at the same time, though, uh, you know, he hasn't exceeded eight DraftKings point eight DraftKings points or three targets in any game this season. If we exclude the playoffs, um, it feels to me like he'll probably go over owned, especially in the captain after the blow up spot last week. At the same time, though, like I said, he's probably the only guy that we can rely on to, or at least assume, you know, sees close to every route in this offense outside of you know Canella. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on Javante Payton here? Um, is he going to go over-owned after the the 34-point performance last week? Yeah, my guess is he will be. I, I Justin nailed it on the head. You, I think you really just want to take a shotgun approach with these yeah. Arlington guys and mix and match. I mean, in week eight, Brandon Arcanado got over an 80% route share, and we thought it was because he had some chemistry with Luis Perez and then everything. And then the next week, he was down at 60% with the rest of the receiver. There's no consistency to the Arlington receivers. We think Peyton will lead lead the pack again, but it's not a guarantee. And, and it's probably the percentage, his ownership will probably reflect like he's going to be the leading receiver. And that is definitely not the case. So, yeah, I'll, I'm not, I don't want no Peyton, but I'm just going to be mixing him, Vanderesh, Winningham, Vaughns, Arcanado, Canella, just mix and match a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I think Van Der Esch will, will certainly be the most popular at only 3000. I mean, he saw, yeah. I think a, a season high in targets last week. Um, yeah. Seven target out, outing on a 67% route share at the same time though, that was a game where Rennell Hall got hurt. I think, you know, Victor Bolden being active this week could eat into Caleb Van Der Esch's, you know, route share a little bit, probably not a ton though, considering he hasn't, you know, practiced with the team for a while. So I, I would figure Van Der Esch and Peyton will pretty easily be the most popular and the guy that I'm interested in, at least among these wide receivers um, for tournaments, is Tyler Vaughn's. Uh, he's he has seven more targets than the next closest Arlington pass catcher over the last four weeks. Um, granted, only 17% of those targets have been in the red zone or deep, so he's not seeing a ton of you know super valuable targets. But he's getting pretty strong volume here, um, and because he's the most expensive of the trio, and I think most sites have him projected, you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three for Arlington. I don't think he's going to catch a ton of ownership. Um, Justin, uh, do you, you know, are you interested in Tyler Vaughn's? Who's kind of your favorite among these Arlington wide receivers? Man, I hate Tyler Vaughn's. <laughs> I, I, really, I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, so <laughs> Tyler Vaughn's, but no, uh, he, he has just been so unproductive on the opportunities he's received this year. And he has been the guy who's had like literally every opportunity to prove that he has what it takes. And, I just have not been super impressed. Like, I mean, granted, uh, obviously disclaimers abound. Anybody could end up in a winning lineup. That's very possible. He's a guy that I'm not so worried about burning me. And, and I guess part of it is that price tag, which like, that's the thing about doing showdown content. You can like, there's so many levels that you can go on. Like, <laughs> he's either A, a good play, B, priced so poorly that he's actually a good play because nobody's going to play him. You know, there's, it's so, I don't know. It's so funny to try to figure out 
um, at what point does he reach, you know, uh, an inflection point where you actually do want to fire him up? Um, where, where I think I would rather focus instead of Vaughn's is like if we want a guy who's going to run a similar amount of routes, in my opinion, uh, like Luan Winningham might be that guy. He's he just has like no name brand recognition. He hasn't been the guy who's run starters routes. He's probably got like two of the three best plays in the XFL season so far this year. Dude's like literally the XFL highlight reel. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I just I, I get the uh, the volume there for Vaughn's. I just haven't seen anything that makes me really excited or make me fearful that uh, he's the guy who's going to torch me. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get that. And I mean, like I said, he's not seeing a ton of targets deep or, you know, in the red zone. So with, you know, no, no chance of really catching a deep ball or a touchdown. It's like, you know, how much can you really bank on that volume? And yeah, I mean, he started out the season as like close to an every down player for them. And now Mm -hmm. is, you know, hovering around a 50% route share. So I definitely understand the, the bearish argument for Vaughn's. I really like Winningham too. I mean, I think he's, I think he's really good. He's one of their main red zone guys as well. Um, and he's only 3,800. I, I seriously doubt like you see people play, um, you know, Winningham and uh, Van Der Esch in a lineup together. I imagine people will probably just be picking one or one or the other. I, I view him as pretty strong leverage off of Van Der Esch. Um, and I mean, he's not going to catch any ownership. I think he's, you know, pretty clearly the wide receiver four in like every set of projections and um, yeah, not popping is like an excellent value by any means. So uh, yeah, Chris, I know, um, I know you said you're just taking that shotgun approach, but do you have any leans here among, um, you know, Winningham Vaughn's any of these guys? Yeah. I'm, I'm also on the Winningham train. I, okay. I, he is one of my favorites of, of the group. I'll lean that way. I agree with John Vaughn's is just, I don't think very good. And I think he, even if he hits like, what, what is he, what is that? Is that going to kill you? Probably not at this point. We just, we just haven't seen any sign of life from him that he can actually have a huge blow up game. Um, but I'll still have some, but in general, yeah, Winningham, Van Der Esch, Payton are, are kind of the top three for me. A little bit of Arcanado. Do you guys have any interest in the like bottom tier of Victor Bolden or Rennell Hall if they're active, or you think there's enough guys already in the room that it, they won't matter? I, I have a really hard time with Bolden. I mean, Obviously, I'm I'm pretty worried about playing time. Would be just my main concern. You know, he hasn't hasn't played since I think week four. Um, so you know, that's that's tough. At the same time, though, I mean, we know he's a great talent. Like we saw what he did in the USFL, and when he did suit up for Arlington, he he was earning targets. Um, and there were I felt like there were a lot of plays where he was the team's first read. Um, so you know, they were they were pretty intentional with the way they were trying to get him the ball. At only a thousand, I, I think you can justify it. Um, if somehow him and Hall are both active, I, I don't think you can play either guy. Uh, but if it's, you know, if it's just Bolden and Hall's out, you know, I think, you know, for a 2% min-priced play, it's it's really not too bad. Uh, yeah, Justin, do you have a take? Yeah, I have a really hard time figuring out how to project Victor Bolden as well. Like, he played, he, everybody was excited when he joined the team in week six. He played in week seven and that was it. And he's, he's been sidelined ever since. And so he, he topped out at 44% route participation in week seven. Like I I'm thinking if I'm Bob Stoops or this offensive coaching staff for the renegades, you've just had a, I mean, you're, you're playing with house money. You come off a game where Javante Payton goes nuclear. Like there's no way you're bottling that genie back up. Like you got to like, see if, I mean, even if Javante Payton turns out as not like the world's best football player, 
you got to ride with him now. Like, I mean, whatever, whatever has been proven to work, it's not the time I think to experiment with, with the Victor Bolden or Rennell Hall thing at this point. So uh, yeah, we'll, um, I, I think I, I have no interest in trying to force feed any of those guys into the, uh, into the player pool really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think a shotgun approach is, is definitely best. My, you know, I, I still like Vaughn's just given the volume he's going to see. And I, I do think he goes slightly under owned, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a really nuanced situation. And I think, yeah, you just got to mix and match as, as best you can. You know, if you're fine eating, eating ownership, then, you know, play uh, Van Der Esch and Pate, you know, I think, I think that's more than fine. And if, if you need lower owned options to um, make your lineup work, you know, Winningham, Vaughn's, even Victor Bolden are all, all acceptable options. Um, oh, and to answer uh, Kobe's uh, question in the chat, we did talk about Javante Payton in, in more detail um, about you know five seven minutes ago. So you just have to rewind to to catch that. Um, the tight end discussion here, I think, is really interesting because I I straight up love Sal Canella as a play. Um, in Luis Perez's three starts against non DC opponents, Arlington tight ends averaged just two point seven targets per game. But in Arlington's game against DC, these tight ends had thirteen targets. Um, and like I said, I mean you know. If we expect pressure, if we expect Perez's A dot to be low, um, you know, just from watching the film, it seemed like he was hesitant to target, um, you know, these routes on the outside. You know, that schematically would sort of lead to a lot of targets for a guy like Sal Canella, who could have had a, a monster game when they last played DC. Had he, I think he had a touchdown, hit him right in the chest. He should have had like 22 DraftKings points in that contest. Um, yeah, Justin, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think of Canella, especially relative to these Arlington wide receivers? Yeah, no, um, I think I think for all the reasons you just outlined, he's a really strong play. Um, obviously, you need somebody in the middle of the field. Like I think, uh, you know, I'm not a defensive mastermind or anything, but I believe DC's lining up in a cover two, which tends to have uh, some open areas across the middle, and that's where Sal Canella is going to do work. And I think his chemistry with uh, Perez has picked up as of lately. Um, if Javante Payton can do a good job uh, stretching the seams north and south, then that's going to give a lot of opportunity for uh, Sal Canella to hop in. So yeah, uh, nothing really to add there other than he, he does look like a really great play this week. Yeah. And it feels to me, I mean, he's not projecting as a super strong value, even, even for us, I think we're fairly aggressive on him right now. And, you know, still, still worse value than, you know, Winningham, Peyton, Van Der Esch. Um, I don't think he's going to catch a ton of ownership. Chris, um, what are, what are your thoughts on uh, Canella here? Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, his salary is not too hard to fit in. I, like salary doesn't seem too difficult to work around here for me from some lineups I've played with so far. So yeah, he's not hard to get in. And like, we just keep saying like all of these Arlington pass catchers could be the guy you need. And this one's going to be, pretty cheap. And, and I mean, there's a chance he runs more routes than anybody on the team, even in this yeah. if Peyton's come back down. Yeah. Um, a guy that I wanted to mention really quick in passing, you know, Nate Becker, it could be argued that he's in play at a, at a thousand, especially if you buy into the, Oh, you know, it's going to be a lot of short area targets for these tight ends at the same time. I mean, I, there's almost no upside there. He, he needs to catch a touchdown and, you know, he's caught one all season. Um, I think you could do a lot better for a thousand, but I guess if you were making 40 or 50 teams, you know, you may end up with a Nate Becker lineup. Um, thought I'd throw that out there really quick. Uh, final thing before we move on here. Um, where do you guys think the cutoff is for captain with some of these Arlington pass catchers? Like, are you willing to, 
captain a guy like Vander Esch, who's projecting really well at 3000, I think, you know, the field should be pretty willing or, um, you know, Canella or even Winningham. I mean, where's the cutoff in a tournament of this size? Justin, I feel like this is the, the perfect question for you. Yeah, I, I think uh, you really do have to limit yourself to guys who you think can play full-time roles in the game. I think Canella, Peyton, and I think Van Der Esch is even getting on the fringe there. So, I mean, that's kind of where the line's drawn to me. What I would incentive or remind folks is that this is the XFL and quarterbacks are more viable in the captain spot than they ordinarily are during the NFL season. And that's got to do with the two point conversion or the conversion rules in general, which allow for increased scoring opportunities for the quarterback that matches the pass catchers. So, you know, if, if a, if Luis Perez has a, even a two touchdown game, for example, um, where that's the eight fantasy points. And then he gets, you know, even just one or two of those conversions. Let's just call that for two points additional on top of that. Now he's got 10 scoring points plus whatever he'd ordinarily have. And if, as long as this isn't a bananas game, uh, you can get there with that type of score, even in the captain spot. So it's just going to depend on what that does to the rest of your salary. So I think for me, I'm fine limiting that to uh, Luis, Davion, um, uh, Javante Payton and and Caleb Vandresh and, and I'm fine with those four being the the guys on the Arlington side and, and I guess maybe the we'll talk about defenses I guess a little bit later but the Arlington defense I think is also that's probably more viable than some of the tertiary pass catchers if you if you want to play that type of script yeah I'm, I'm definitely in line there I would I would include Canella in my in my captain oh, pool I, I, I forgot think about that yeah, yeah sorry yeah I think I definitely think he's got some juice um Chris do you have any any thoughts there on you know viable Arlington captains before we move on. Yeah, I mostly agree. The one I'm a little weary about the most, probably the most is Vander Esch. I think like, I think, I his, think he's going to get steamed. Like yeah. ownership could be a real concern. I was playing around with building stuff and he using a guy like him is really the only, only way you get like both QBs. Uh, one of the top running backs, Devion or Abram Smith and like top wide receivers, whether it's two DC guys or Peyton and a DC guy all in the same lineup. Um, and so I think a lot of people might go that route, whereas, you know, I'd rather, you know, force in a Canela or a Peyton in the captain spot, um, if I'm doing non QBs anyway. Yeah. So something that like I learned in, um, NFL showdowns over the last few years, and, you know, we'll, we'll, I think we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to, when we get to kickers near the end of the show. Um, when you play one of these really cheap captains, even if it, you know, projects well, uh, you, you almost always end up duping because everyone else who plays these cheap captains, especially if they're popular, you know, you just, you just force in the highest projected flex players. And so everyone kind of ends up on the same build when you play a guy like Vander Esch, you know, it's going to be both quarterbacks, like Chris said, you know, high priced running back. And then, you know, Canella, Lucky Jackson, Chris Blair, there's going to, there's going to be a lot of dupes. So I, I do think uh, Vander Esch will probably go over owned in the captain. He's a guy that I'll want some exposure to, um, but it's important to remember that, you know, when you're when you're playing a guy like that, you, you might need to be a little more creative than you'd, you'd think on the surface, um, because, yeah, those those lineups will result in some dupes. Uh, Justin, do you have any thoughts on that before we move on to the D.C. side? No, nope, I think you, you nailed it. Great. All right. So Jordan Tayamu, like we said, I mean, he's a lock to be the slave tie stone flex player, captain player. Um, you know, to me, he's just sort of a great play and someone who I consider a core piece in almost every single build here. 
Um, he's been playing great ball lately, 85.1 PFF passing grade since week seven. He's only gone under 29.9 DraftKings points twice in his last five games, averaging 26.6 over that stretch. I mean, he's just playing really good ball. Um, Justin, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Is there um, is there any reason to get off this guy? Because, you know, it just it kind of feels like a free square on on most lineups. I think you're right. Um, I want to get off of him just for that exact reason. And I will probably do some stra- uh, strategy around some lineups that are fading Tamu. And, you know, you think about how would you do that? What does a game look like where Jordan Tamu is not in the winning lineup? And that's really the case you're going to make with that entire lineup from start to finish. Yeah, you're thinking some staples there are likely some sort of onslaught coming from the other side on Arlington. Maybe Abram Smith is involved in that lineup. Maybe he's not. Arlington defense is certainly going to be a part of that. Um, Maybe the kickers are outscoring the quarterbacks in that type of game. So, you know, you're really you're going to leave a ton of salary on the table in a lineup that's fading Te'amu. Otherwise, you're really just trying to nail such a precise outcome that I don't think uh, you, you have a very strong shot in the first place. Like you're just trying to get too precise to, to leave out Tamu for like salary constrained reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's super sharp. Um, Chris, what about you? Any, any thoughts on Tamu? Yeah, he, he's probably going to be in every lineup. Maybe a couple that don't like, a, I'm, I'm trying to think of like maybe an Abram Smith captain with uh, Arlington onslaught in the rest of the spots, something like that, or, yeah, there's just yeah, you're really trying to thread a needle that is going to be tough uh, if you're not playing Tamu. To me, it's yeah. just more of a how much how much captain Tamu do you want? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's a good discussion. I mean, for me, I'm I'd I'd assume he's you know in the flex 90, 95 percent in the captain, you know somewhere in between twenty and thirty percent, probably closer to thirty realistically. Um, I'll probably just end up matching the field. I really don't want to take a big stand on Tayamu, but I do think, you know, what Justin mentioned in regards to building, you know, at least a couple lineups, if you're making multiple teams around the idea that, you know, Tayamu doesn't quite get there. Um, I, I think makes some sense as, as a leverage opportunity. And, you know, if you're forced to decide between Tayamu and Perez on some teams um, and you need a bit of an ownership discount, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that you want to go with Perez there. So I think those are fairly important notes. Um, the backup quarterback for DC is obviously more involved than the backup quarterback for Arlington. De'Ara King, um, you know, priced the same as Kelly Bryant at just 7,000. King has averaged 18.3 snaps over the last three weeks compared to 12.5 snaps in his prior eight games. You know, most of his run comes in the red zone. He has pretty solid TD equity. Um, They've been letting him throw a little bit more. They let him throw quite a bit when these teams last played in week nine. I'm on the fence about King. I feel like I'm probably going to end up making 20, maybe 25 lineups for the main tournament. I, King might end up in one of them. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure. Obviously he doesn't project well at his salary, but he does have multi TD rushing upside. I mean, you know, when you get 18 ish snaps a game and most of them come around the red zone, that's, you know, that's pretty nice. Uh, the only problem is price. Uh, Justin, how are you going to play DR King this week? I hate having to deal with this quarterback situation so bad. It is the absolute worst. Uh, you just feel like you're you're dodging landmines by uh, avoiding Deer King because it's just a matter of time before he comes in. I kept thinking, like, with as good as Talmud has been playing, like, King would start seeing less and less and less work until he's eventually phased all the way out, and yet he just won't go away. He's like a house full of cockroaches. And uh, <laughs> man, I, I really wish we could do something about that, but we can't. So 
I just have a hard time getting to put him in my lineup. I really do. I mean, I, I don't know that having him in my lineup helps me figure out what to do with the other spots in my lineup. Like I, if you play King, do you still play Tiamu? Like, is that viable? Like we're getting into some really gray murky areas. Can you play Abram Smith in a King lineup? Um, what does that mean for the Arlington side? Like it just doesn't tell you a lot about what to do with the rest. And that's one of the beneficial things about, you know, playing any of the quarterbacks from either team is, Hey, it at least helps you like get at least one, maybe two, maybe as many as three more spots right in the rest of your lineup, or at least get a little bit closer uh, once you get that one thing correct. And King doesn't do that. And so for that reason, I'm just probably willing to get burnt by him. And if he gets me, he gets me. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, he really hasn't been getting you for the most part this year. I think his season high is like 12.3 DraftKings points, which, you know, at 7,000 really wouldn't be a death sentence by any means. I think he probably makes the most sense in lineups that anticipate like Jordan Tayamu just getting vultured. Um, So like a, you know, a King Abram Smith team, and then, you know, run it back with some Arlington guys on the other side. It still feels pretty thin to me. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on Derek King? Is he going to end up on any of your teams? Yeah, I think what Justin said was right in that I feel like using him while maybe a good leverage play might end up messing you up elsewhere in your lineup just because it's hard to like what just what does that winning team look like and you're going to end up guessing wrong because we just really don't know. I mean, he does get snaps in the red zone, but his like red zone carry rate is nothing special at all. He's got two since week five. I mean, like part of me was like, all right, maybe if we treat him as like a backup running back that's just a little bit over overpriced that gets some. TD possible work and but he just doesn't so yeah. yeah I'm probably just fading him yeah no I mean I think I think that makes a lot of sense it's um it's definitely a tough spot and you know even like the ceiling outcome for King is probably between like 12 and 14 DraftKings points and even that isn't you know isn't anything to um you know win you a tournament for the most part so uh only only in play as a flex play I think I I might I still might end up with him on like one team but um yeah very thin for for Derek King there um DC running backs, I mean, Abram Smith is like just the bell cow of the century as long as we don't, you know, mention Wes Hills in the USFL. Um, but yeah, uh, 89% snap share in his three games without Raquel Armstead, averaging 20.8 DraftKings fantasy points per game over that stretch. Basically, all his metrics without Raquel Armstead are, you know, first among all XFL running backs. Um, the only issue here is that the last time DC played Arlington, they totally abandoned the run. They posted a 60% pass rate despite being ahead the entire game. They also had a season low 51 rushing yards. That makes me pretty hesitant to play Abram Smith at the same time. The usage is so strong um, that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he went for 130 rushing yards and a pair of touchdowns. Right. Um, so yeah, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. How do you want to play Abram Smith this week? I feel like ownership won't be too prohibitive. You know, Perez and Tayamu pretty clearly going to be the the highest owned plays. And then, you know, Lucky Jackson and Abram Smith probably in that next tier down. Um, yeah. How, what are you thinking for Abram Smith this week? Yeah, he's tough. Uh, you don't really feel great about him. I kind of like him as a captain play more than a flex play in that, you know, like you said, he gets just this massive workload and, whether he, you know, he scores one to two touchdowns, he, you know, crosses a hundred yards, he maybe even catches a few passes. Um, I, I kind of like playing him that route more than I like playing him in the flex. Um, and, and then Cameron Harris behind him really is only viable if you're building like a DC onslaught type of lineup. And I think you you might even want both of them in the lineup then yep. if it's really that high scoring. 
Yeah, I think Cameron Harris is, is interesting. He's the minimum price. He's, he's only 1,000. He had six snaps last week and five carries, all of which were in the red zone. And pretty much all of them came in this like same formation where they did like the fully loaded pistol with two tight ends in the backfield, and they were giving him carries there. I wonder, you know, with the extra two weeks of practice, if they could integrate him into the offense a little more and he could emerge into more of like a Raquel Armstead type role where he's actually playing, you know, earning about 20, 25% of the snaps and getting some carries outside of the red zone in like a non-blowout script. I, I do think that's in the cards for him. He's going to be like 1% owned. So I, you know, I'll, I'll play him on a team or two, especially, you know, in these DC onslaught stacks. It makes a ton of sense. All his run last week or two weeks ago in the divisional championship came, um, you know, in the fourth quarter when when DC was was up a good amount. So, so I do think he's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, Justin, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think about Abram Smith and uh, backup running back Cameron Harris here? Yeah, I mean, if Cameron Harris can keep up his 40% touchdown rate, I think he's a play. <laughs> um, but, but no, otherwise, like I, I think uh, that was exactly right, Chris, that he, he – you want to play him with Abram Smith because the only way I see Cameron Harris being in a winning lineup here is the absolute annihilation game from, from D.C. So I think like that, – but that is actually a pretty cool story to tell yourself. It's Abram Smith. It's Cameron Harris. It's – uh, DC defense, uh, Jordan Tayamo. Now we're up to four defenders and, you know, we, we've barely gotten going and, uh, you know, we're looking at some token person from the other side, uh, for Arlington. And now we're up to five. You got one guy left to figure out. So uh, you, you can see quite easily how you get there. Um, Abram Smith, I was hoping to hear you guys say that you thought Abram Smith was going to be super popular this week. Um, so, but his, his price point, he's like right between the two quarterbacks in terms of price. So I could see people getting a little bit discouraged there because I do think he's got a nightmare matchup here. I mean, this is a tough defense here from Arlington. I have a hard time seeing the monster Abram Smith game, but like if ever there was a time that they'd be dedicated to feeding the guy, it's like, you know, dance with the date that brought you. He he has just been the guy stirring the drink for this team all season long. He's been fantastic. And, you know, one of those guys you hope gets a call up to the next level when that opportunity comes here in just about a week or so. So, yeah, uh, man, uh, I, I was all ready to be on the Abram Smith fade train. But if he's going to be like reasonable ownership, like, I mean, gosh, you're talking about the guy with the highest ceiling on the slate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Abram Smith, I, I think, you know, outside of like the DC tight ends is probably the toughest eval on this slate. Um, mm. I, I like Chris's take, you know, if his captain ownership is like 8% or something like that, it, you know, it could make a lot of sense to sort of load up on Abram Smith captain and hope you either get the blow up game or that he totally fails. And I mean, like median projection wise, industry wide, he, he looks pretty strong. The only problem is that like, we know from experience that his floor is, is much lower than that median projection would, would normally indicate. I mean, no pass game work and, you know, fairly frequently vultured inside the 10 yard line by either Tayamu or, or De'Ara King. And, you know, who knows if Cameron Harris could get a little bit of red zone run as well. So certainly some risk there with Smith, but I, I do sort of like the idea of like arbing it, arbitraging it with, um, yeah, some captain, some captain exposure, and then going a little underweight on the flex. I, I think that's pretty sharp. Um, I'll probably end up underweight in both spots. I, I prefer to target these passing games, but you know, there's, there's a pretty decent argument that Abram Smith is going to go under own. Um, 
Uh, Puka Williams, I wanted to mention just in passing. I think for some of these, uh, like for occasionally for Super Bowl showdown slates, I'll, I'll make a case that a returner plus a defense is a viable stack. I think it's super thin, but Puka Williams has shown a little bit of juice as a returner. Pair him with the DC defense, save a bunch of salary. If he scores a return touchdown, you're in a decent spot. You know, he's going to be 0.2% owned or something. Um, probably too thin for me, but figured I'd throw that out there. Justin, do you have, do you have any take on a stack like that for a showdown slate like this? Yeah. Too thin, too thin for me. Also um, yeah. more interested in something like that. I think on one of these massive, massive prize pool type deals um, yeah. where, where you're trying to leapfrog hundreds of thousands of people for this, for this one, uh, probably fading that type of thing and keeping it simple. I was trying to think who might be the counterpart on the DC side. You could potentially see, um, Victor Bolden returning kicks this week. You know, if you wanted to double dip that with the uh, Renegades defense, but I mean, I, the fact that we don't even know who that role could potentially be is probably all the more reason to not go with that strategy. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, I mean, super thin. I think if you are doing it, you're probably only targeting the DC side. Arlington's been kind of all over the map with who's returning for them. DC mm-hmm. seems to have really settled on Puka Williams, but yeah, you know, I don't think I'm going to end up there. Uh, DC wide receivers, I. Man, I really like all these guys, to be honest. I mean, like I said, um, season low, 51 rushing yards for D.C. last time these teams played, and a season high, 60% pass rate. Um, I believe Jordan Tayamu and Derek King combined for 264 passing yards, which was their fourth best outing of the season. And, you know, based on after writing up this slate and really thinking a lot about these players, I kind of think all three of the main D.C. wide receivers are going to go under-owned, especially in the captain's slot. Uh, my favorite of the trio being Chris Blair. Uh, since week seven, Blair has led the defenders pass catchers in targets per game, yards per game, air yards, red zone targets, and fantasy points per game. Um, over the full season, the 14.8 fantasy points per game that Blair has averaged since week seven would tie Cody Latimer. Um, so this dude's been super productive. And, you know, if you if you say, look, he's 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 you know, I still think Lucky Jackson is the the top wide receiver on D.C. I think at worst, Chris Blair is the one B to Lucky Jackson's one A at this point. Um, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. What do you think about these D.C. wide receivers? You know, Josh Hammond, Lucky Jackson, Chris Blair, who's kind of your favorite here? And yeah, how do you want to play him in the captain? Yeah, Blair's probably my favorite, but it's really close. Like, I like all three. I like Lucky Jackson. I like Josh Hammond. I'm, I bet their ownership is all pretty similar too, which makes it t- like, I almost wish they were more different somewhere just because I, like, I want to have a strong opinion. I mean, my guess is lucky Jackson is probably the most popular due to name, yeah, but I, mean, I, I don't think it's going to be so. anything crazy. No. Yeah. It'll, it'll be, I think it'll be pretty condensed, but you know, ownership should be lucky Jackson, Blair Hammond, but I mean, they'll all be, you know, captain, like lucky Jackson, maybe, six percent Blair like four Hammond two or three something like that you know it's going to be pretty tight yeah I do find it hard for either any of these guys to be the optimal captain and Tammy not to be just just because I don't think you like need the salary savings really either I mean it's yeah. definitely possible but uh, the QBs for the XFL just are much more viable than NFL showdown it does seem like I mean you, you could get a Derek King passing touchdown somewhere in there you know that could that yeah. could help a little bit um, I think really like if you're captaining these guys, it's, you're mostly playing the ownership angle here. I mean, they, you know, all, all three of these players have shown a, a pretty solid ceiling. And in the second half of the season, we've seen target shares get, get pretty condensed here. I mean, Hammond was, you know, early on in the season, the very clear number three, and he's started to creep up too. Um, it's really tight between all three guys, I think. And, you know, if we assume, you know, Tayamu's at 25 or 30% captain ownership and 
all these guys are around 5%, you know, maybe Lucky Jackson pushes for eight or something. I, you know, I think there's some good leverage to be had. Um, Justin, what, what are your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I think Lucky Jackson's a phenomenal player. And he's the one guy who seems to have the most consistent weekly uh, prospect among all these guys. Um, just, you know, even his bad games aren't very bad. Um, you know, whereas you know, it's a lot easier to see a Josh Hammond disappear from time to time or even yeah. even Chris Blair. So I think Lucky is probably my favorite way to go there. Um, you know, I love the fact that there is a big three. It makes it super easy to build. Uh, your Tamu lineups and you're really just trying to galaxy brain your way into thinking, how can I get around to justifying Brandon Smith or one of the tight ends in this lineup? When, when, once you say, all right, we're going with the Tamu team. So um, I, I think, you know, you certainly can't play all three of these guys with Tamu. There's just not enough passing volume. And I mean, that's another very important differentiator to keep in mind between Perez and, uh, and Tamu, like, I've got Perez projected for something like at least 50 more passing yards than I do Tiamu. Like that's just, they, they play a completely different style of football. Um, so overall, you know, I'm probably picking max two of these guys, but more than likely just even one. And then maybe even thinking about trying to throw in a cheap guy like it. Ethan Wolf, who I'm sure is like, he's already kind of like a meme at this point for the uh, popular guy, popular cheap guy on the slate. So, uh, but you know, with him being on the injury report, like Briley Moore is right there. Alex Ellis is right there in terms of viable options that could get you, you know, that two catches for 30 yards and a touchdown type of stat line you're looking for. Yeah, these these DC tight ends are really tough. We'll get to them in a second. One guy that I wanted to mention as like a flex play that I actually really like is Brandon Smith. Uh, Brandon Smith, 5,000. I mean, just objectively overpriced. I, I think he's going to be, you know, two, three, four percent owned. He won't be popular at all. But, you know, one of the things that I've noticed from, from rewatching a lot of these games over the past week, they give Brandon Smith a ton of run in the red zone. Uh, they love this guy when they go like heavy sets with a single wide receiver. It's almost always Brandon Smith out there. Um, 40% of his targets over his last four games have either been in the red zone or deep down the field. So, you know, I think Brandon Smith has a lot better TD equity than like his median outcome, his median projection implies. And, you know, I think on like these Tayamu lineups where you're looking for a place to get different, you know, people will look towards the tight ends. And, you know, I think that's certainly viable, but like going like Tayamu captain with Lucky Jackson and Brandon Smith, I mean, that's, you know, that feels pretty good to me and no one's going to play it. Obviously you're giving up some projection, but I, I like that quite a bit. Um, Chris, any, any final thoughts on these DC wide receivers before we move on to tight end? Nope. Yeah, I like Brandon Smith tall as well. Sweet. Well, and to add to that, um, you know, Brandon Smith's route participation over the last two weeks has been that of some of the renegades that we have been talking about trying to decipher between. So just toss him right there in the mix with, you know, Caleb Vander Esch and Brandon Arcanado and some of these, you know, uh, Rando's on the on the Arlington side, like he belongs in that same conversation. I think like the the we have not seen as clean of route numbers uh, for the DC uh, wide receivers over the last couple of weeks. Now there's been some funky game scripts involved, and I think in some of yeah. those as well. But like it, it used to be a lot cleaner than it is, and Brandon Smith's really the guy coming in and gumming things up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's. To me, I just think he has a he has a lot of merit. He I could I could see him scoring multiple times, and you know no one's going to play him. So that's that's always a tempting flex play for me. Not not anywhere close to being captain eligible, but um yeah, I like him a lot as a as a low owned flex. Tight end. I mean, I spent 
unknown, like just so many hours trying to figure this out on Wednesday. I, I am really struggling with the DC tight end situation. I'm hoping one of you guys can help me out. I, you know, my, my thought was that the North division championship game, um, you know, gave us a pretty good indication about how they feel um, about these tight ends. You know, Ethan Wolf only a 19% route share in that game. Uh, more Briley Moore McKinley uh, was at 39%. Alex Ellis at 47%. To me, and you know, pricing is so tight between these guys. I think they're all within 600 of each other. Alex Ellis is probably my favorite. He's dominated red zone work. He has four red zone targets, uh, I believe, over his last four games. The other tight ends just have one apiece. He's probably my favorite. Um, I'm really not sure where ownership's going to fall on these guys. I think they'll all be pretty similar. Um, I imagine Ellis will be the most popular, but I, man, I'm really not sure. Justin, what's, what's your take on these tight ends? Cause I'm, you know, I wrote it up. I spent many hours thinking about it and I still don't know. Yeah. I've got Ethan Wolf projected for 10% more routes run than the other two who have tied at 35%. So it's, it really is kind of a neck and neck thing, uh, in terms of how we're differentiating all of these guys. Uh, I've seen Briley Moore actually have some decent looking catches and runs, uh, which is encouraging if you're looking for a guy who can maybe score from outside of the red zone. Um, he, he might be your guy who could take off and dive for a pylon or something. But overall, like, I don't know. I don't really want to overcomplicate it. If Ethan Wolf's the guy who's going to project better, he's been the more consistent player for this team throughout the course of the season. And, you know, I, I think we're, I think we know that Ethan Wolf should be more owned. I, I'm not perfectly confident that he'll be like massively owned either though. So uh, he'll probably be the guy I start with and then swapping off to the lesser owned options should the rest of my lineups require it. You know, kind of the macro takeaway for showdown in general is you can play whichever players you want to play. You just probably can't play all of them, right? So um, you can play chalkier Ethan Wolf so long as you've maybe built in a slightly different way somewhere else uh and maybe that was through salary relief maybe it was through Captain Luis Perez instead of Jordan Tiamu you know whatever that might look like there's a lot of ways to get to playing the guys who are actually good plays so does Wolf's like 19% route share last week concern you at all because that was kind of what got me off him a little bit for the championship I mean like I said they're all very close right now we have Wolf projected as um, the, you know, the tight end three among the trio, but they're all within about a point of each other. Um, yeah. Do you think that, you know, that comes back to earth? Cause he is listed as the starter. So, you know, there is, and you know, he's been fairly consistent, um, you know, near the top of the tight ends and routes throughout the season. So I'm, you know, it's, it's really tough to decipher. I think he got pulled in that game due to an injury. And I think he missed a large chunk of that. Um, and so I think that's to, that is the explainer for why his routes were down bad last week. Um, and I expect them to kind of go back to his normal mid forties uh, this week. Great. All right. Uh, Chris. Yeah. Any, um, any more takes on these tight ends? Cause this, I mean, to me feels like one of the toughest spots in the slate and you know, it's, it's pretty important. These are some of the best salary relief options that we have. Yeah. I was leaning Ellis. Uh, Justin's got me now leaning a little bit. Ethan Wolf. I think our projections are going to condense even more after yeah. this show. <laughs> yeah. We did spend a lot of time trying to, I don't have a strong lean, but I mean, honestly, I don't think you really need to go heavy on any of these guys. When my initial lineup building, I wasn't getting much of any of them. So I'm, I'm probably just going to have a couple percentage points of, of each guy and where I need them and, and leave it at that. I don't think you should be trying to force in any one particular guy. Are 
two tight end, like two DC tight end lineups viable at all, Justin? Like Tayamu captain, two DC tight ends, and then maybe a wide receiver. Is this is this in the cards or do you think? Yeah, I think we're burning too many valuable roster spots uh, for you're really trying to threaten me. I mean, obviously it helps you get Captain Tayamu there, that's for sure. But uh, other than that, now nah, I think uh, one's just a plenty. Yeah, that, that was kind of where I was at, too. But, you know, want to make sure we cover every angle here. Um, moving on to kickers. I mean, you know, both kickers are the minimum price. And in a lot of previous showdown slates, I've I've kind of thought that kickers were going under owned um, this week, though. I think both kickers are going to be pretty popular. I mean, relative to previous XFL showdown slates, pricing is actually pretty tight on this one. Um, you know, it's not nothing crazy, but. You know, getting a, you know, a min price player who projects for five or six points like both of these kickers do is is pretty nice. Um, I don't think they're they're captain viable. I mean, like I said, when we were talking about Van Der Esch, if you play a kicker and the captain, you're just going to end up on the same team as as everyone else. Um, so I'm not going to get there. But I mean, man, it it feels like you're going to need, you know, maybe if you're making 10 lineups, you're going to need a kicker in two or three of them, um, you know, to make certain builds work. Uh, Justin, where are you at on these kickers right now? Yeah, I, I think kickers and defenses, broadly speaking, are a great way to flesh out the story that the rest of your lineup is telling. And that's just kind of how I want to continue to use it here. And keep in mind, obviously, this is the XFL. There's no extra point points going for the kickers. That's one of the reasons we like the quarterbacks and the captain. Um, so, yeah, it's they're the minimum price, 1000 bucks, the cheapest you can get for any player. And that's really the reason you want to do it. Uh, we've seen some massive kicker games starting to pile up in really both spring leagues uh, here recently. But overall, like the floor for these kickers is absolute zero. Like, I mean, that's that's firmly within the range of outcomes here, especially in a championship game where coaches tend to have a little tendency in their uh, back pocket of saying, uh you know, be aggressive. You, you know, you don't leave anything on the field, um, you know, when it comes to a championship game. I think, uh, I, it's funny, I've got Taylor Russolino projected for more than Matthew McCrane right now. However, like the, the, the Renegades defense is so good that I'm wondering whether I ought not to bump this McCrane projection up a little bit because, and that's one of the great things about talking through a slate with you guys is uh, you get to really hone in on where you think the weaknesses are and, and what you're coming up with, because, you know, what I can see is this renegades defense buckling down lots of really tough red zone trips for the DC offense. Um, you know, they're, they're not scoring from, you know, 50 yards out. And in that situation, they're settling for field goals. And I think that, um, I think that that coaching staff is more than more than happy to take three points if that's what's available. So uh, they've got a good kicker as well. They just hadn't had to kick a lot of field goals. They've had a really hyper efficient red zone offense so far this year. Yeah, I mean, me and Chris spent a, a good amount of time, um, probably too much time, <laughs> talking about these kickers and you know trying to figure out how we we're going to project these guys. We we have Russelino projected for six point four, McCrane at five point five right now. I mean, it's it's easy to make an argument that one guy is you know better than the other. I mean, McCrane, you know, we expect DC to score more points. They'll they'll probably be in the red zone more often. Um, Russelino, I think, is a slightly better kicker and. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Arlington ended up winning this game or at least keeping it close enough. Um, plus, you could argue, you know, their offense is a little worse than D.C.'s. And so their red, red zone efficiency might be worse. Um, 
you know, to me, I think if these kickers are going to be super popular flex plays, which I imagine they will, I mean, we might see 20 to 30% ownership, you know, for these kickers, which is, you know, easily the highest of the season, um, you know, so far for XFL, I think I'll probably end up underweight because, you know, like Justin laid out the, the chance of a zero here is, is really high. And I mean, the upside for these kickers, if they do hit a ceiling outcome is like 10 or 11 points. It's not crazy. I mean, obviously, you know, that would, that would probably be optimal. Um, but, you know, I think McCrane and Russelino combined have two double digit fantasy point games this season. So it's not like that's a, that's a super common outcome. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out just exactly how popular these kickers will be. Cause if it feels like, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to work into builds, especially with how well they project right now, Chris, yeah. do, you, do you have any takes on ownership here or any further thoughts on these kickers? Yeah, I think it's really going to depend on whatever projection shorts people are using. Cause, cause they're going to look awesome from a fantasy point per dollar perspective from projections, yeah. but they're more, I compared it to kind of like, it's so different than NFL kickers. It's kind of like hitters in baseball. If you were doing those projections, like a hitter, you know, could hit two home runs and score 20 points, or they could strike out twice and score zero. It's very similar to these kickers. Like the, the floor is zero. The ceiling is 12, 14 points or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, really hard to nail that down. Uh, if they're, I think they're going to be kind of popular. So I'm probably going to come in underweight on it. I think I like enough of these other bargain bin guys. And I don't think you need a lot of them to begin with to make good lineups. So I'd rather just hope that they hit zeros. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's pretty reasonable. I think if you're making a lot of teams, I mean, I wouldn't like outright fade these kickers. I think they're important pieces, uh, you know, six, six or five projected points at a thousand dollars is pretty nice. I mean, yeah, from a median outcome, they're the best projected values of the slate. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if these guys are pushing 30% ownership, I, I do think that's a tad too high, especially in a game with a total of 48. I mean, that implies a lot of offensive touchdowns. Um, all right, moving on to defenses. I know, um, Justin, like I, you know, we talked about defenses for a good amount of time. The last time you were, uh, you were on the show, it feels to me like both of these defenses are going to go underappreciated in this game, probably because of how high the total is. Um, the last time these teams played, both defenses would have scored four points, but DC actually had a pick six. Uh, they ended with 10. Um, yeah, Justin, I'll throw it over to you. What are your thoughts on these defenses? I'm assuming the total's too high for like double defense to be in play, you know, captain defense. What are your thoughts? Uh, just, you know, really curious. I, I just want you to cook here. Yeah, no, I think, uh, double defense is probably a little aggressive. I would say though, that, uh, it would, it would almost surprise me if, one of these defenses weren't in the winning lineup. Like I Ooh. think that um, I, I think you're looking at two defenses that do make a lot of plays. I mean, that's one of the really fun things, even if this game shoots out, well, I guess the more it shoots out, the more it's going to carry along skill guys with it. But if it hits like a, a pretty respectable number, like in the low fifties, um, I think still like that keeps the defenses firmly in play. Like I expect to see, um, you know, Luis Perez is a guy who you can get to. He's usually pretty smart with the football, but, you know, he's not a very mobile guy. He can take some sacks and you'll see guys in a championship game pressing and trying to make a play. And then that's usually good news for the defense um, if they try to play outside of structure. So uh, overall, like, man, I keep wanting to play this Renegades defense. I think they could get home with some big plays like they're tremendous in terms of creating pressure um, and then. I think that helps you tell the story that uh, yields to Davion Smith as well. Um, you know, a game that Davion's kind of carrying this team. 
uh, is a game that matches up really well with that defense. You know, I know running back DST correlations a little uh, overplayed probably and sort of traditional main slate stuff, but uh, with Davion specifically, since he's such a grinder and such a like uh, touchdown hog down there in the, inside the green zone, like I think uh, they match up really well. So I like, I like trying to mix in these defenses. I'll probably, I'll probably land on something like a combined exposure around 60% for both those defenses or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, total. All right. No, yeah, I, I love that. I think that's that's much more aggressive than the field is going to be, like, for sure. I, I wouldn't, you know, DC's defense, my, my guess is probably 10 to 15% flex ownership. That might even be a little high. Arlington, I think, you know, could be pushing like five to eight percent flex ownership there you know people will not want anything to do with this arlington defense arlington defense i mean arguably the best in the league like all around um the dc defense you know they give up a lot of yards but they bring a ton of pressure and they you know generate a lot of sacks a lot of turnovers so you know i think there's a lot of merit to both defenses and i really like justin's take on um yeah the arlington defense being a little underappreciated especially in some of those more grinder type scripts where uh you know arlington or these arlington running backs have success uh, Chris, any final thoughts on uh, on defenses here? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little curious, Justin's thoughts on, so because of the price points the defenses are at, it, does that pro, does that make you want to, for example, not play the defender's defense with like a Caleb Vanderesh? Because if Vanderesh is going off, or at least enough to be in the lineup, he's probably doing better than the DC price point, which they're not exactly the same, but they're close. Um, and then similarly for the R... There's not too many DC skill players that you have to worry about that for, but there is a lot of Arlington skill players that are in that three, 4,000 range that is very close to these defenses. I think it's probably depending on how much you're butting up against the salary threshold um, in terms of whether or not you want to play them together. I, I don't really look at that as a, as a decision point per se. Like I, I don't think I'm choosing between Vanderush and defenders d or renegades d for that matter like as long as the sum of the remaining parts uh lines up then i'm i'm totally fine with that um you know i think i'm usually trying to not put in you know any more than two probably like sub 5k type players anywhere in my lineup like we still want to jam four pretty good plays and the defense kind of helps you get one of those fifth. And so if that sixth one is, you know, somebody who's at a similar price point, that's not really uh, a turnoff necessarily. Um, how are you handling, you know, like opposing players versus a defense and, you know, is it, is it viable if we're playing the Arlington defense in the flex, like how viable is a DC captain? Are you avoiding like Tayamu captain in favor of maybe a wide receiver or how do you handle that? That's something I've kind of always, always struggled with on these showdown slates. Hmm. Um, I think typically I'm going to want to, the quarterback DST thing is actually really interesting because DST, like a, a defensive, say a pick six, for example, which is usually, uh, most people think of that as being a real negative for the quarterback, obviously a minus one for the interception, but it's such a game speeder. Uh, it can actually really, really help uh, the quarterback score a lot more points. I probably typically want to play my quarterback against his the opposing dst as opposed to playing with his own dst if that makes sense um so that's maybe a little bit of a counterintuitive way to think about it um and that's dsts can be used in a variety of different situations so um i'm trying to think like i, I think captain davion with renegades d makes a lot of sense um i i think 
you know, I probably want to fade somebody like uh, Captain Abram Smith for sure. Um, so I think overall, there's a lot of different ways you could do it. Um, I would definitely probably fade some of those mid price guys in the captain spot when I'm going DST. Because one of the great things about going DST is it frees up salary so that you can play more aggressive options somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, you know, in week one, we saw Luis Perez throw five touchdowns, two were to the other team. And he had, I think that was still today, his best fantasy outing of the season. So awesome. um, I, you know, I think that's, that's really sharp. The, uh, the quarterback versus the opposing DSD. Cause it does, you know, it does pick up pace and um, yeah. And all that. I thought, thought you made some great points there. Um, Chris, any other questions for, for Justin before we get out of here? No, I think we pretty much covered, I mean, yeah, we, we've covered this final XFL slate as deep as anyone could possibly need. <laughs> yeah, it really it really doesn't get. I mean, an hour and 13 minutes on a single game in the XFL is... Guys, we got $1,000 long snapper Trey Berry with Tiger Bell. <laughs> what do we think there? <laughs> well, this this was great, guys. I mean, we really appreciate everyone tuning in all season long. I you know had a great time doing the show. Uh, Justin, before we get out of here, where can people find your stuff? Yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at Justin Freeman 18. Find all our work over at runthesims.com or at runthesims on Twitter. Uh, we're keeping on going beyond XFL. We still got spring football uh, lays before us here with the USFL about in midseason form. So uh, come get in on the action. We'd love to have you. Yeah, everyone go check out Run the Sims. Awesome site. You know, something I use in, in my process. Really great stuff that they're uh, that Justin and the, the team over there are doing. Uh, shout out, shout out Furby too. Love, love my guy Furby. Um, guys, like I said, thank you so much for tuning in all season. I had a blast doing the show. I know Chris did as well. Um, for producer Sean, for Chris, for Justin, for myself, thank you so much for tuning in to the championship edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. I hope to see you all at the top of the page. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.